Ugly Duckling Oboes is dedicated to the development of young oboe players. They provide quality handmade oboe reads, private lessons, and high-quality oboe sales, rentals, and consignments. The oboes that they rent are conservatory mechanism oboes that include the left-hand F key and low B-flat key. All are maintained by oboe-specific technicians. In-person lessons are available as well as virtual lessons for students who live outside the geographic area or have transportation and scheduling challenges. They also offer online college audition coaching for high school juniors and seniors who plan to audition to be music majors. Visit UglyDucklingOboes.com for more details on how you can set up yourself for success and sign up for their newsletter. That's UglyDucklingOboes.com. Consider buying your processed oboe and bassoon cane from those friendly folks over at Barton Cane. Processed with care and precision for your everyday reed-making needs. Take the pain and injury out of reed-making by letting Barton Cane do the hard, repetitive, boring stuff. Free up time for practicing, happy hours, hikes, baking, and spending time with friends and family. Barton Cane, here for you. Visit www.bartoncane.com. Hi, I'm Galit Kaunitz. And I'm Jackie Wilson. And you're listening to Double Read Dish, a podcast for oboists, bassoonists, and the people who love them. You sound incredible. Do How I do sound I sound? Up close and personal. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're right there whispering sweet nothings into my ear. Whisper, whisper, whisper. <laughs> we got new mics. We uh, did. It's been long overdue. <laughs> we got our last set of new mics in Cape Girardeau. Yeah. And so that was at least four years ago, but we didn't get them right before I left. Nope. It's probably so, been five years. Probably five years. Yeah. At which you don't really, because the whole, this works in our life because it's a very lather, rinse, repeat process. We That's just right. kind of, every 15 days, we do the same thing over again. Mm-hmm. And so there's not a whole lot of, you know, what would be really great? You know, it would be a huge improvement, but yeah, one, our mics were getting old. And two, there have been great um, technological advances in affordable podcast mics that you can just kind of plug in since then. And so we're trying something new. Tell us how you yeah. like it. <laughs> you know what people need more of is me screaming into their ear. Well, you don't have to scream. We're just improving the audio quality. <laughs> So last time we talked on the podcast, mm-hmm. we were talking about our goals for 2024. Yes. yes. And I want to check in with you and ask how those are going so far. Well, so far, so good. So this last week, I think WSU was the only university that came back last week. Literally everyone else I know is coming back this week. So I started the semester already and I did not start the semester perfectly prepared for everything to be perfectly in its place. And I'm so proud of you. you know what? The world kept spinning on its axis and I still have happy students and my classes still got taught. Yeah. So I already thought that was one, like I wasn't ill-prepared. You know what I mean? I just wasn't yeah, like- Your slightly less than prepared is probably my exceedingly prepared. <laughs> I was just things were still kind of falling into place like okay it's taking that that student switch around classes so the schedule changed so I have to update things so my teaching schedule is not set quite yet and usually that would be like <laughs> I gotta get everything set and now it's like it's fine he needed a different science class it's fine like <laughs> so I feel like that is already good. Just I'm being more flexible and um, I, I'm feeling like actual ways that I'm applying that, which is good. I um, over the, the week found four times to go to the gym because uh, my morning classes don't allow me to go 
beforehand. And so I have to kind of squeeze it in. And it's my first time doing that. I did that successfully. But um, the biggest news is I did start and finish a book and I started and I'm in the middle of a second one. Oh, amazing. And I've been to the library twice since we last dished to get another book I'm excited about in the queue. Look at you. I know. I made a rule that when I'm eating like breakfast and lunch, I can't scroll on my phone. I have to read instead. And that has basically carved out the time that I need. Oh, that's wonderful. And it's probably better for your mental health. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about you? Are you um, getting, what is it? Get gains at the gym. (laughs) Um, Since we last talked, I visited family in Ohio. So I did miss some time at the gym for that. But Mm -hmm. other than that, I've been going pretty consistently. And one of my friends is knowledgeable about lifting. And so she showed me how to do it. And I've been doing it and feeling stronger and stronger. And it's been helping so much with my anxiety levels and my uh, general sense of well-being. Like when your muscles are a little bit sore because you used them. And so Mm -hmm. you can, it's just like with practicing, you know, you're like, why am I tired? Oh, I'm tired because of a real reason. That's why I'm tired. Yeah. 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 Not because I've been spinning myself in circles in my mind for hours. Yeah. Yeah. That's not good. And I find when I'm uh, being more physically active, I actually sleep better. Mm -hmm. Like my body is worn out and it's tired and it's ready for sleep. And yeah, I can, because I struggle with turning my brain off as well. But again, we're we're the same, but different. Mine is like, oh, I got to do this tomorrow. Got to do that tomorrow. Blah, blah, blah. You know, six from mm-hmm. months from now, I got to put this on the long-term list or whatever. Uh, and yeah, I can find it really hard to turn off my brain at night too. So mm-hmm. you just have to run yourself ragged to the point where you're going to go to sleep. <laughs> but in a healthy way that actually makes you stronger. Yes. In ways and doing things that you like and are fortifying to you. So yeah, it sounds like uh, we solved every problem. Every (laughs) problem. There's never going to be another problem. Uh, Check it off the list. (laughs) I love that so much. (laughs) Well, we have um, an amazing interview coming up for all of you this episode. I actually thought about suggesting we do a dish inspired by this interview, but I didn't want to spoil it. Mm -hmm. And so I think we should just go to the interview and then maybe our next dish. I feel like Mark's Mark's interview is very multifaceted, but I feel like it, it gives pause to reflect on some very fundamental parts of being a musician that we often shy away from discussing honestly. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if our dish for our next episode could incorporate ours and our listeners' responses to some of the things that he talked about and if that would be kind of a cool uh, reflection exercise. But I don't want to give it away because it's just it's a fabulous, so vulnerable, real – I think it's our realest interview mm-hmm. we've ever given our listeners. So, Yeah, it was a real honor to – to talk to him and be able to share this interview with you. So enjoy. Enjoy. Hey, oboists. Have you ever found it difficult to sort out when and how to find a new oboe or English horn? Oboe Chicago streamlines the process, providing personal and professional consultation and a large selection of lovely instruments. The process feels comfortable and thorough. Selection includes Effleurie of Paris, Howarth of London, Covey Oboes, and Fox Products. For a current listing of Oboe Chicago's selection, please visit www.obochicago.com. For a credit of $100 towards shipping, mention Double Read Dish when you call or email Shauna. That's oboechicago.com. Chemical City Double Reads is a full-service double read shop specializing in the sale of instruments, cane, accessories, and sheet music. 
Double Read Dish listeners can enjoy free shipping with code DRDISH. Visit them in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or online at www.chemicalcityreads.com. We are so excited to welcome to Double Read Dish, Mark Debsky, Principal Oboe of the Florida Orchestra. Welcome, Mark. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I'm really excited to be here and talk with you both. We like to start to get to know our artists by starting at the very beginning. So when did you start to play the oboe? How did you begin on this journey? Sure. So um, I'm from Bethel Park, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb outside of Pittsburgh. And the band program there actually starts in fourth grade. So I started, um, I'm sure a lot of oboists will probably be able to relate to this. I didn't start on the oboe. I started on the clarinet. Boo! Uh, yeah, I know. Um, well, I, the thing is, I really did not enjoy playing the clarinet. Um, so actually, like, boo. <laughs> yeah, like I, I remember playing a lot of second clarinet in the band and being extremely bitter about it. So I knew that the oboe was not for me pretty early on. And it was in like a general music class that I had seen the oboe in one of the books. And thought it looked like this like futuristic upgraded clarinet and yeah you know with all the keys and everything and being very like fascinated by that and drawn to it because I thought it looked really cool and then when I found out not a lot of people played it that got me a little bit more interested because everyone played the clarinet and um, I wanted to do something that most people weren't doing and my parents said I came home one day and told them that I liked the sound of the oboe and that I wanted to play it and they didn't know what an oboe was so they were just like sure okay um (laughs) and so at the end of fourth grade when the band director said that we were going to need an oboe starting in fifth grade naturally I volunteered to do it and um when I was asking my parents about this they actually admitted to me that they were like slightly disappointed because we already owned a clarinet and a tenor sax that were my granddad's I've been playing on this like antique clarinet at nine years old (laughs) and they were hoping that I was like going to stick with the clarinet or maybe try the tenor sax instead of like having to rent me an oboe. Uh-huh. So that's kind of, you know, if only we knew what renting nine-year-old me an oboe was going to do. So, <laughs> <laughs> Would you tell us about uh, your, um, maybe it was a moment, maybe it was a journey to deciding you wanted to be a professional musician? Yeah. So again, I was, I asked my parents a lot about this because I didn't remember a lot of this stuff, but I asked them and my like closest friend from home, like when I kind of decided I wanted to be an oboist and they all have like a very similar story. And um, so I might be an unreliable narrator for this because I remember it a little differently, but they all said around like sixth grade when I was probably around 12, um, like all I wanted to do was play the oboe and I was really excited about music. And I I do remember like, I loved the oboe like my brother and sister were both athletes so music for me was kind of like what sports were for them and I was really uh I really liked to play and I composed a piece for the middle school band and um but I don't ever really remember saying that I wanted to like be a professional oboist um you know at 12 I'm sure I said a lot of things (laughs) and so in high school um around like 10th grade I got into the Pittsburgh Youth Symphony, um, was getting really serious about playing the oboe, was like doing Allstate and stuff like that. Um, and I uh, was really lucky for the teachers I had while I was um, studying in high school. And I studied with Scott Bell and Harold Smoliar, who are um, both retired from the Pittsburgh Symphony now. And just at one point kind of deciding, like, they had said to me in one at one point, like, if you want to pursue music uh, we feel that you're like good enough to do it so um i didn't know anything about what it meant to pursue music at that point um i just knew that's that they... so encouraging and so sweet yeah it was really nice because i just had no concept of, i had never done a summer festival um i just had you know i was you know playing the oboe and it's like oh yeah they play the oboe too but I had no idea what that meant <laughs> <laughs> So they encouraged me to apply to summer festivals um, before my senior year of high school. And I ended up going to Brevard in North Carolina. 
I loved and, Brevard. Yeah, that was, and that was like really to me what did it for me. Mm -hmm. um, kind of being immersed in classical music for you know an extended period of time and being around people that were all wanted to do the same thing that I wanted to, you know, that I thought I wanted to do, and so. Um, that was really when I, I think going into my senior year of high school was when I really kind of decided firmly that I wanted to be a, an oboist. But, you know, who's to say what really happened? So it's kind of it's too late to turn back now. <laughs> Could you walk us through your training and educational journey? And uh, maybe like, because you said you knew you wanted this journey, but that you weren't you and your family weren't kind of uh, came from this background. So like the type of things that informed your choices and all that type of thing. Yeah. So pretty soon after I switched to the oboe, I started taking private lessons with a woman named Holly White. Uh, she was kind of the big oboe teacher in Pittsburgh at the time. And backtracking a little, she was the one who, I think she realized really early on that I was really excited about the oboe. So that really helped me a lot. Um, and then in my sophomore year of high school, when I got into the Pittsburgh Youth Symphony, um, Harold Smollier was our woodwind coach. And I, like I said, this was when I was getting pretty serious about the oboe. And um, so I started, I asked him after a coaching one day if he would ever really consider being my private teacher. And he said yes, much to my surprise. So I think it was, I studied with Holly for about five years. And then uh, in February of that year, my sophomore year, I started studying with Harold and I had Saturday morning lessons at 10 a.m. Uh, right before youth orchestra, and um, I I will never like this is a funny story. I'll never forget my first lesson with him. Um, I was so scared of him, and you know we pulled up to his house, and I'd been working on Francais' flower clock with my previous teacher, so I naturally brought it to my first lesson with him. And when he saw it, he laughed and said, "Well, it's going to be a long time before you're ready to play that." And I was so like shocked I couldn't believe he had said that to me because like 16 year old me was thinking like what's he talking about like I'm so ready to play the flower clock you know like the little hot shot that I was <laughs> and so in that lesson we worked on like some scales and long tones and he had asked me to play like a G major scale in fourths and at 16 I was like not doing anything like that so needless to say that didn't go over well and like point proven pretty quickly I was not ready to be playing the flower clock <laughs> so that was that and it was like a couple months into studying with him that he suggested I also start studying with Scott Bell who was the is now retired second oboist of the Pittsburgh Symphony so I was alternating weeks between Scott and Mr. Smoliar and studying with a Delancey and a Mac student at the same time mm -hmm. you know at such a young age a formative you know a really formative part of my development as a young oboist really just like changed my life um I you know I just adored both of them I still do you know like um I think they're such brilliant musicians and two of my biggest inspirations and I think studying with them um really helped push me in that direction or like really I think showed me as well like I really could do this um you know they I know I remember at one point they met with my parents because my parents like had no idea what it meant to become an oboist or do something like that so they really helped um me kind of know that like like I said if I if I wanted to do it they felt like I was capable of doing it if that makes sense the in the personal investment in you is really impressive yeah I think that's one of the biggest things I'm grateful for I mean that time I spent studying with them I was so just you know it opened up so many doors for me and how much they cared about me was also it, it it's it means so much to me even now because they still are so supportive of me so when I went off to you know um, college I went to New England Conservatory in Boston um, I did my undergrad there and then I did one year of my master's um, and I studied with John Ferrillo and Ann Gabriel um, and I got so much out of my time at NEC. Um, you know, I've really fond memories of doing like Barrett and long tones and scales and barely and Broad and Chile with Mr. Furlow and hearing him sing through all of that. And of course, going to see him play every week. And then 
also studying with Anne Gabriel at the same time, it was a similar experience to kind of how I had it in high school, having two teachers at the same time who really supplemented and complemented each other. And, you know, she did all these read classes and studio classes with us. And um, I also really appreciated how they really emphasized having a supportive studio because that, you know, when you get to that level, sometimes you don't always have that. And they really made it a point to have people in the studio that were going to support each other. Mm-hmm. And when I entered the, in my freshman year as well, um, we had so many people who have like really big names now in the studio um, who have gone on to have these like amazing careers. So it was really inspiring for me when I got there at, you know, like 18 to be surrounded and hearing these people that just like have these incredible careers now. I would love to hear about your journey to your current position uh, at the Florida Orchestra. So can you tell us what happened after NEC? Yeah, so it's it's a bit of a windy one. So I was really lucky to win my first job at the end of the first year, my master's um, as principal oboe of the Richmond Symphony. And I played there for, I, I was contracted for two seasons, but during my second season, COVID happened. Mm-hmm. So we shut down. Um, and unfortunately, I ended up not getting tenure there, um, which was, it was like really devastating for me. And it's like a huge blow to my confidence. Um, so I moved back home with my parents. I really wasn't sure that I wanted to keep playing the oboe after that. Um, like I kind of just stopped playing. I mean, we all did, but like, I think I was more just like looking at this open door of like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this, like what's next. So in December of 2020, um, I actually got an email from the New World Symphony in Miami Beach inviting me to become a fellow. And I was really surprised because I had auditioned for them after I found out I didn't get tenure and didn't get in. Um, so I was like, okay, you know, I guess that's that. But when I got this email from them, I kind of looked at it as like, if there's a sign to keep doing it, then I guess this is it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I moved down to Miami Beach in January 2021. and um was a fellow at new world for two and a half years and just can't like express how grateful i am to have gotten that email um it was like just exactly what i needed at the time and so yeah i was there for two and a half years and then this past may i did my audition for the florida orchestra and yeah won won my position so how i got here yeah (laughs) well thank you for your vulnerability we have had people share stories like that. We have never had someone not have us cut it out. And that's not to say you can't cut this out. No, I'm I'm happy to talk about it. You know, it's it's been a really um, big part of my life. So, yeah. We never had someone be as vulnerable as you just were. And those are the stories we don't learn from shiny biographies that look perfectly pedigreed. And so... Yeah, I'll I'll let Galit decide if we have any follow ups, but I just think it needs to be acknowledged. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the strength that. of character you just yeah. displayed. Thank you. It's very impressive. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, if you don't mind, I'd love to ask follow up. Sure. Um, yeah. We love to dig in. Let's get into it. I'm ready. Oh, you said it was devastating. We have follow ups. Yeah, let's let's get into it. God. <laughs> so for all of us rejection and failure and ego blows and no thank yous are always part of the equation and you are so amazing for being open about this um and i think the what I love about it the most is that just because it was a no thank you for them doesn't mean it was a no thank you from the profession, from the field. And I would love to hear more about your evolution. It sounds like you had an evolution to that conclusion. Like I still have a voice. I'm still important. I'm still a musician. I still belong, even though I had this very devastating uh, thing happen. Yeah. So Actually, when it happened, like I'd said, I really wasn't even sure that I wanted to keep playing. Um, and that's just... totally sorry to interrupt you, but no. like I've experienced that too, where 100%. you're just like, I I thought this was it, 
Yeah. They said, no, I don't know how I can keep doing this and have a good attitude. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. No. Yeah. I mean, and it really took me a long time to like accept what had happened and accept, especially accept my part in what happened. Um, I don't know, maybe if, if I should go into like kind of what was going on with me at that point was, you know, um, I, I don't really think I was actually ready to have a job. Mm. Um, you know, I won that when I was like 22 or something. Wow. And yeah. It, I was just so young. Like I mm-hmm. really didn't have reads figured out. Um, not that I do now, but you know, definitely didn't. then. <laughs> um, but I think like the biggest thing for me then was I just like lacked the emotional maturity that you need mm. to do a job. You know, being in an orchestra is such an interpersonal experience and mm just I was so focused on like being the absolute best oboist that I could be that I was really lacking in the people skills that I needed to do that side of the job well mm. and so to kind of like I think I, I knew that deep down the whole time but was in a lot of denial about it mm-hmm. but and, and it took it more as like wow they just like really didn't like playing and you know how could I you know how could this happen and so Bouncing back from that, it, it really it has really taken me a long time. And that's why I'm I'm so just grateful that I got into New World. Um because a lot of my time at New World was spent like rebuilding my confidence and just feeling like I could do this again because I just was like a hollow shell of myself when I got mm-hmm. there. And especially learning how to be a good colleague. Um that was a really big thing for me at New World. Like you we go to these, we have these like, I don't know, those like seminars where we learn about being a good colleague and what that means on the job. And I just, you know, at that age didn't really, it's so much different when you're doing it, like you're in in it doing it, you know, and you, you don't learn like the intricacies of orchestra politics and all that stuff until you're just like there. Yeah. And I definitely think if I, you know, look, if I had been a bit older, I it would have been a lot easier for me. It's so interesting that you got this experience of New World, which is, you know, kind of this renowned training ground, but you had the unique benefit of hindsight to inform that experience. And thousand percent. Of course, you felt the way you felt. No one would not feel the way that you felt. But when we zoom out and look at it, it's like, first of all, so you were probably 21 when you auditioned or won that job, right? So, if a 21 looked at a 21 year old looked at any of us and said, one, I'm not advancing. It's not for me. We'd be like, that's ridiculous. You're only 21. Uh, or uh, I got to finals, but I didn't get the gig. It's not for me. That's ridiculous. You're only 21. <laughs> you know, I, I, I won the audition, but it didn't work out. That's ridiculous. Look at, so you advanced, you won the gig. Like everything is saying like, yes, you have a place, blah, blah, blah. Right. Of course you didn't know everything mm-hmm. there was to know mm-hmm. at at that young age but also no one would not feel the way that you felt and internalize but you know when we look at it it's just like wow you accomplished so much to even be in the position to have that experience and yeah. I think that's why Galit and I wanted to follow up on it because that's an experience that we all have and so everyone listening can benefit so much from your journey in that way, because we all just hear that message message of the no, when really there was so much yes, even getting into NEC, there are people listening who auditioned who that door didn't open for them. And they went, well, if I can't get into a school like that, then it's yeah. not for me, mm-hmm. you know? And so again, just thank you. I, I do have, I want to hear more about that experience in New World. Sure. Maybe I'll, I'll get to that. But, but yeah, just. Thank you for sharing that yeah, because you're helping people heal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's taken me a long time to really feel comfortable talking about it too. Um, like mm-hmm. the amount of shame I carried with it. Of course. And it, it happens to so many more people than we think. Because nobody ever talks about it. Of yeah. Course. It, it, it would have helped me so much if I knew other people who had gone through it and, you know, ended up successful and, you know, came out on the other side successful because you know, holding it for so long and just like, it was such a, just this like million pound weight on me of just like, I couldn't let it go because I just felt so alone in what had happened. And, um, 
you know, it, it really was a, there was a lot of like external factors who really lifted me up more than, you know, I definitely had a, a small part in it, but I was, I definitely was relying a lot more on like external support to kind of help me through it, which I think then in turn, you know, helped me realize that like, okay, I, I actually can do this. Yeah. Um, so, of you know. Of course. Yeah. I think we yeah. have to start talking about, we, yeah, no one wants to admit not only this, but like, oh, I got in, but I got in off the wait list. I'm, I ain't going to tell anybody that, you know, oh, I, I, I know that I was offered this opportunity after someone else turned it down. That's a big one in higher ed that no yeah. one ever wants to talk yeah, about. Yeah. I mean, even mm-hmm. like New World, like I didn't get in. And then, you know, they, I didn't get in initially when I applied. So, you know, there's no shame in like saying, oh, I got off, you know, I got off the wait list, whatever. Yeah. Like, you're there. You're there. <laughs> <laughs> No one who's not appropriate for that would ever be there. And there's no shame exactly. in the journey. Like, we're just all on this journey. Yep. And like, yes, to, to feel like I beat myself up for not knowing everything I needed to know at 22 years old. Like, two decades down the road, I'm. it's such a preposterous thing. And I'm sure two de- decades down the road from me, something I'm saying sounds asinine, you know, and like ridiculous. <laughs> so we're all just growing. But okay, yeah. so... You said this um, experience in New World taught you so much about many things. And I, I'd love to ask a couple questions about that experience. Sure. But you said specifically, I needed to learn about being a good colleague. So what, if someone's like, okay, well, what is that? What what would you tell them you've learned? Um, I actually got like two of the best pieces of advice I've probably ever got in my career while I was in Richmond. And I was talking to people I trusted about like what was going on. Um, and I, I really wish I would have, I don't know, just like taken it more to heart or just really understood what they were saying to me. Um, the biggest, the first thing was like, just be a good hang, like be someone that, you know, when you show up to work every day, you're like excited to see them and play next to them. Like one of the best things about New World was the oboe section, my two years there. The three of us were so close and, um just waking up every day and like genuinely feeling excited to see them and like play with them and sit next to them it makes such a difference um so just i think yeah being someone that like you want to sit next to yourself and i know that people always say this but when you sit next to someone who you don't like it is really hard <laughs> like it's really not fun and playing an orchestra is supposed to be you know, it's supposed to be fun and enjoyable and making those connections with people and genuinely being in like invested in other people and how they're doing. Um, like I had a really hard time connecting with people in Richmond. I was because I was so young, um, just not being able to like fully relate to people sometime and because they're in such a different stage of life. Mm-hmm. Um, so at New World, I mean, it was a lot easier because we were, you know, among the same age and peers, but just genuinely being interested in how they're doing and like what's going on in their life like outside of our instruments um mm-hmm. this is really important and just being also being someone who's like very flexible um playing wise you know like being willing to discuss musical ideas and not kind of being like it's my way or the highway was is another really big thing um especially at new world because you have so many people who are coming in from different like schools of musical thought and whatnot and you, there's not that kind of like um i don't know what you want to call it that idea of like how we all play in this orchestra if you know what i mean yeah so just being able to like be open to that kind of being open and like willing to uh be flexible more of a about global like perspective that. exactly yes mm-hmm. thank you so yeah that was that was really those were the big, that was the big thing I learned at New World was just about how to be a good colleague, just like caring about people and the flexibility and stuff. It reminds me, um, I think it was when we interviewed Karen Miller, she said, be, hold yourself to the highest standards, but only yourself. Yep. Be yep. so gentle and so accepting of everyone else. Yes. Like, cannot agree with that more. Yeah. 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 Reminds me of that a lot. Jackie, did you have more follow-ups? 
I just, well, when I read New World in the bio, I went, oh, we'll have to ask him about that. That's just such an interesting, cool experience. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, tell us about that experience being cool and exciting and rejuvenating and replenishing. Yeah. So New World is just like such an incredible program. Like, I'm just so proud to be an alum of like, of the program. Like, the, it just has so much to offer that it's almost impossible to like take advantage of everything that goes on there. Mm -hmm. um, but what's really, for me, what's been really, was really great about was just having the space to kind of figure things out, not having like a teacher breathing down my back about things and, you know, just getting the time to like develop, redevelop my voice as a musician. Um, you know, and it runs like a professional orchestra schedule, you know, um, about five rehearsals and you play like two, con two or three concerts every weekend. Um, so cycling through the rep was really helpful mm -hmm. working with all those like amazing conductors, like working with MTT while I was there was, was a huge thing for me. He was like, I'm really grateful. He was really invested in me when I got there. Um, and was a big like person who helped lift me up. Um, just talking to him, like in cycles, he conducted, or if he came and saw a concert, he would like pull me aside and talk, you know, you know, as a you know, principal elbows need to be doing these things. And like, this is, you know, um, you know, I want to see more of this from you. And having that as well was just, you know, it's invaluable. Like, and it wasn't, you know, I can't replicate that experience anywhere else. Really. Invaluable would be the right word for invaluable. that. <laughs> True, truly. I mean, yeah. having all the coaches that came through, even taking lessons with people who didn't play the oboe. I had a lesson with like Bill Vermeulen that was just like, mind-blowing it helped me so much and um yeah just it's i just i can't say enough good things about new world truly i mean it's it really turned my life around for me okay now i want to hear about your successful audition for the florida orchestra <laughs> sure so it was like a, a pretty normal you know as normal as auditions go um it's actually my second time going for this audition this position because i held a principal audition in spring of 2022. So at that point, at this point in New World, you know, back to 2023, um, I had done 10 auditions in one season. And TFO, it was, yeah, TFO was number 10. It was my last one. Not to interrupt, but it was that hard or triggering? This is what I always think about with New World is like, it's all these like amazing players, but you know, it ends. Yeah. And so does it feel like a race against time? And was that kind of, or not to take That's you true. in a different direction, but no. like, yeah. No, I, I was going to say, you know, like, so at this audition, you know, it was number 10 of just that season alone. That's literally like a third of the auditions I've done in my whole life done in more right. span of nine months. Oh. Um, and at this audition, this specific audition, I remember after my semifinal just like not feeling good about how I'd done. I was like, uh, you know, looking at it, like, is it ever going to happen again? You know, it, because I, you get three years at New World. Um, so I was, I just finished my second year and I was like, what am I going to do? I only have one more year left. Um, so I, I think there is probably a shift for some people where you're kind of like, oh, I really need to like get it together. Or like, I really need to, it needs, something has to work before I leave. Mm -hmm. Um, and I definitely, even from when I got there, I had felt that pressure because I knew it was, um, there would be an end to it. Mm -hmm. So that was definitely a big like motivator. It's like, okay, I have three years to like really make this work. Yeah. So sorry to interrupt. No, 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 not, not at all. It's, it's, you know, valid, it's important part of it. And so after that semifinal, not feeling great, I was feeling really discouraged and everything. Um, by some like grace of the universe ended up advancing and um that made me, you know i was like okay like i they you know felt really good about it and um you know played the final round uh and oh my god during the final round this is like one of my most embarrassing things happened to me on stage i was playing the mozart concerto you know start with the mozart concerto and my Mozart part like literally looks like it's older than time itself. Yeah. So <laughs> we all can relate to that. <laughs> so, you know, we play that, we have that trill to the G at the end of the first page and we have that yeah. really quick page turn. Yeah. 
So Michael Francis, our music director, is the only one sitting in front of the screen at this point. And I flip the page. My music just goes like flying across the stage. And I'm just like fumbling through the rest of the exhibition thinking like, oh my God, I've only been playing for two minutes and this already happened. Ah! And I get, you know, somehow like barely stick the landing at the end of the exposition and he goes would you like to try that again with the music on the stand and like me just like defeatedly nodding sadly of course like, <laughs> yes. so um yeah I played the final round and <laughs> was like feeling I felt like pretty good about how I'd done and then they voted to go into a super final round there were three of us in the super finals and uh, it was a chamber music round with the other principal wins of the TFO. And backtracking a bit again to last year, I had gotten to this point in that audition the first time to the super final round. Mm. And I had never done a chamber music round before. Uh, you know, all these auditions and somehow like had never, just never done a chamber music round. So when I got in there, I just didn't know what to expect and like never in my wildest imagination would I have guessed what they wanted me to do. So I walk in, you know, the TFO, the quintets, they have the quintet formation and then like the rest of the committee is just like lined up across the stage. And it was so jarring to like see all these people watch me be like summoned to the seat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and oh my God. I sit down, I'm like panicking <laughs> and I sit down and Michael Francis goes, okay, you're going to play the Nielsen quintet tonight. I'd like you to, and you only have one rehearsal before this performance. What I'd like you to do is run the quintet and then run a rehearsal addressing all the things that you would like to hit before you do this performance. And I just remember sitting there thinking like, what, like, what do you want me to do? Like, just, it was like, that's what I was thinking while you were describing it to me. (laughs) I don't understand. You know, like I, it was just like, I was like, uh, okay you know like I don't really like to talk in front of people so this is like an <laughs> so this experience right now is perfect well, for welcome oh, to double yeah. redish mark <laughs> so I it's like this you know an audition plus this bizarre form of public speaking it's like my worst nightmare come true you know I prepared the music well enough we played through the quintet I didn't really play that well and after we finished I sat there, I kid you not, I think like five minutes passed where I just sat there in silence because I didn't know what to say to them. This was the and first time you did it. This is in May 2022. Okay. Yes. Oh, okay. This, uh, this is like, I was just like <laughs> oh my God, like what do I say to these people? <laughs> I was just like losing my mind. I was like, I was like hunched over and I just said, I, I think I said something like, I think I was a little sharp. I'm sorry, but everyone sounds great. It, like very meekly, <laughs> and it was so awkward. And they're like, "Is there anything else you want to say?" It's like, no. <laughs> Obviously, did not win. <laughs> um, so, fast forward to this year, I saw the posting for the audition again, and I said, "Okay, if I get to this point again, and they do this, I am gonna be so ready for this. Like, I know it's coming." <laughs> so. You know, the night before the semifinal round, I called a really good friend who I knew would have super good advice on, like, how to navigate something like this. And um, I can't believe I'm, like, admitting this on the air. But um, I took notes on this phone call, like, everything you need to say and do during a chamber music round. And I brought it with me to the audition the next day. So I get to the super finals, and I was like, okay, it's going to happen. I know it's coming. And, you know, I remember like briefly telling the other two people, I was like, just so you know, like we might, they might ask you to do this. And it was like such a shock to me, but I just want you to- in the wild. Yeah. I I was just like, I wouldn't, I would have really appreciated if someone had told me like, this is what you're going to have to do. So I walk out on stage, the same thing happened. It was like deja vu. Michael Francis says, oh, it's great to see you again. Like, you know what to do. And of course I was thinking, yeah, like this time, definitely know what I need to do. (laughs) So I sit down. Sorry, this is getting so long-winded. I sit down. I'm on the edge of my seat. (laughs) I sit down and open up my binder. There are my notes next to all my music, like with everything I should say. You know, we play through the quintet and afterwards I'm like, oh, you should do this and like think about this. And 
like just like totally like I got this covered because I had my cheat sheet right next to me. <laughs> so, you know, after we, you know they announced that I had won, it it went like much better, obviously because I knew it was coming. So you know after they had announced that I'd won, when I met the committee, everyone was like, "Oh my god!" Like the difference between this year and last year, it's like you're a different person. It's like yeah, because I knew I was gonna have to do it this time. <laughs> you know, I was prepared for once, and so I I actually have to give a really big shout out to um and thank you to my friend Lauren Williams because she was the one who I called the night before, and like definitely would not have been able to like navigate the round with that kind of points if it hadn't been for her advice but this i don't is... think you need to feel bad about that because it's like the, no. you knew the job and so it's like if if you stay ready you don't have to get ready like you knew okay this is the expectation of this position and if i want to prove myself employable i need to do what i need to do to meet expectations and you sought out the resources to do that to me that's the exact right message you yeah. know it was just like i just felt so awkward i was like glancing at my little sheet like say this you know it's like the introvert's guide to winning an audition. <laughs> Literally, introvert's guide to navigating a chamber music round. But also, like, what do you, like, you don't have to get into detail, but you also wouldn't want to be like, you know, hey, loser, you were dragging there. Like, well, like, how do you do thoughtful things that doesn't alienate a committee? Right. So the first year, I was like, I don't think I should, like, single anyone out or, like, say anything negative. But this year, this time around, I was thinking about, like, Okay, like when I play, have played the Nielsen before, what are things that I like have noticed about the piece? And for me, the one of the big things that kept I kept coming back to was like clarity of all the different voices because it gets so like there's just so much going on in that quintet. It's hard to really know what's important. Mm -hmm. So I focused a lot on like being like, oh, you know, so and so has a really nice line here. We should, you know, they're playing so beautifully. Like let's come down here a little bit to make sure that they can come through. You know, let's think about mm. changing our colors here to support this person better. Mm. You know, um, things like that, just mm -hmm. making it, making myself seem like a team player. I think that was a really big thing. Um, so just addressing things as like a whole and making myself seem like I was a part of the quintet rather than like, you need to do this and you need to do that, blah, 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 yeah. kind of thing. So I think that, yeah, that's what definitely made a difference for me this time around. So it seems wow. like they had you do this because they wanted to see what type of principal oboe that you were. Yeah, I think just how how well you could work with how well you would work with the section, like the blend, but also just what you are as like a working colleague, I think as well. Yeah. Honestly, it's a, I think that's a really great way to do it. It's just like if you don't know it's coming beforehand, like oh yeah, like me, just like the panic that sets in, you know, being evaluated on something like that. So yeah. I cannot imagine. <laughs> I would have done the same. <laughs> yeah, it's like... But, and again, it's so impressive because, you know, there was this temporary position. We hear, again, I compare it to higher ed, but we hear in higher ed all the time, oh, if they didn't want me for the one year, I'm not going to go for the 10-year track. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It would have been so easy for you to cop an attitude, um, to not take a learner's my mindset and not take a growth mindset yep. and just be like, mm onto the next. And instead, yeah. not only did you get success, which is kind of secondary from you grew from this experience and you gained this whole new skill set. And yeah. again, just to go back and have that experience a second time, I think shows tremendous resiliency. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, and that, that was the thing too, was I definitely was a different person in the second time around, like definitely was like much more sure of myself about things and um, just kind of knew what I I wanted to communicate in that in that round and things like that. Just definitely, just much more sure of myself overall at at, at this at that point yeah. know, at this audition. So yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all that. Oh, I'm of course. so inspired right now. Oh, I know. Yeah. Okay, now we're gonna take a left. Sure. <laughs> and I would love to hear your perspective, your tips and tricks, your secrets on read making. I don't really know who should who wants to be taking read advice from me. I, I don't consider myself <laughs> to be like the best read maker. Like at New World, my friend Tonavi and I used to say that we were the blind leading the blind, <laughs> trying to figure out like what was going on with our reads. So I will try You're to. You're both like, sitting there together, completely confused. <laughs> literally, that was like what it was like. We were like, "What? What's wrong with us? I don't know." 
so I'll try to like impart some wisdom to people. <laughs> um, I think like my biggest philosophy behind reads right now um, is I never try to make a read for like a specific, excuse me, a specific piece or specific performance or like that the read has to do something like triple piano, low C sharp, you know, perfectly. Um, Cause every time I go that route, I just end up ruining the read. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, I like to, I'm aiming to make a read that allows me to do all my fundamental work with like as much ease and efficiency as possible. Like I have a really strict warm up and fundamental regimen um, that I go through every day. And so when I'm making a read, I, I'm really just have that in mind of like, I want the really clear, att- you know, soft attacks when I start a long tone, the, the clarity of articulation when I'm practicing articulated scales, you know, because all the music we play is essentially made up of all of those. So if I, if I have a read that can do that, that fundamental regimen, then I know I'm going to be able to bring that read into rehearsal and the flexibility in that read is going to allow me to like take on whatever character of the piece I'm playing that week. If, if that makes sense. thousand percent. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's more just about, can it just do the, the basic fundamentals like really well? Um, I think is, is, is how I like to approach my read making at this point. That's, I think now I realize that that's kind of really how I've been going for it. Can I ask about your very strict warm-up and fundamentals routine? <laughs> sure. Um, it's been a long development of this, but I will try to be concise and as I can about it. Um, so the first thing I do when I start my warm-up is I play a slow chromatic scale, like slurred from low B flat to high F, kind of. I don't really have a set beat count for all the notes, but I'm mostly just trying to get my wind and support engaged. Um, and once I get to the top, I'll turn around and do like slur two, tongue two as another way to add in like articulation, you know, playing on the wind um, and go all the way back down from high F to low B flat. And from there, I have a, a bunch of long tones I like to do. I, Jackie, you're probably familiar with like all the Hertzberg stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do a lot of Hertzberg long tones. Um, which are so hard and I any oboist who like wants to see if their reads are working like I really recommend these because they really will get a read like it'll show you exactly what your read is and isn't doing Mm -hmm. Um, from there I'll move to like slurred ninths so starting on low b flat to middle c um, then back down to low b flat just to practice like evenness across large intervals and move up chromatically from low b flat and then once the top note is like high F, um, stop there. And then I um, get into my scales and I do Hertzberg scales um, because I think they're a fantastic way to like, especially work on articulation. Um, and I don't know exactly how the best way to describe how I like go through my scales. So um, I go through the circle of fifths and you know, on day one, I'll start with like a C major scale I play all my Hertzberg scales with a drone. So do the Hertzberg scale in C major. And then once I complete that whole set, go back. And I think I set the metronome to like, coordinate is probably around 84. Um, and just do a, a normal C major scale and then also do it in thirds. And the next day, and then I'll usually play like the corresponding fairling to that key. Mm. And then the next day, I'll start with the previous day scale, C major. Um, normally and then in thirds, um, do the A minor set of Hertzberg scales, and again, do the A minor normally and then in thirds, do the A minor fairling, and then I keep, I compound, or I guess that's the right word, I'll like, more, I'll start, I'll have more scales to start with, in, you know, normally and in thirds before I do my Hertzberg scales, just so I'm like hitting all the keys every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I complete the circle of fifths and thirds, then I s- literally start back again at C major, I'll, and then I'll instead of doing thirds, I do my ending in fourths and fifths. I haven't gotten to six because I haven't been like that dedicated with it. Yeah, you sound really lazy, Mark. Well, <laughs> I just like get off track and then I'm like, I don't remember where I started. So I'll just start over again. So that's how I do my scale regimen. I also have one of the Jalay the books that I like to do. Like I'll do if I don't want to do the, you know, the fourths or something, I'll pick my key of the day and do a bunch of Jalay exercises. Um, and same with. A2 is like if I start getting bored of Therling, 
you know, I will play Barrett or Broad or I have Marcel Moise's like development of tone through interpretation. Um, you know, or I'll play through like a vocal art song, just something like kind of to like cleanse my palate by the end and like get me in the right headspace to like practice like quote unquote real music. Um, so I try to do this like every day. And um, like I said, I'm, I'm really big on fundamentals. Like that's something that's really, really important for me uh, in my playing. So that's kind of how I go through my fundamentals every day. That's fantastic. I wonder if, especially when you're in audition preparation, do you have a similarly systematic way of approaching the list or that repertoire? Yeah. Um, I kind of like, you know, if, if I, I read um, this book called Six Weeks to Finals by Sharon Sparrow. Um, and I, I think it's a really great book on how to prepare for auditions. So I do a kind of modified version of what she explains in this book. But I do have, you know, like my A, B, C excerpts that I, you know, rotate through or ones that I feel like I need to hit every day. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely think my audition prep is also like very, I, for me, it's extremely important to stay organized during my audition prep. Um, so doing, you know, having that, you know, knowing what I need to work on and what I can like put aside for a little bit and things like that um, is really uh, helpful for me in my preparation generally. Would you share with us a favorite memory from a past performance? Sure. Um, that's like an easy one for me right now. In December of 2022, while I was still at New World, we did an all Defia concert with Carlos mm. Prieto. And New- it was, yeah. I love walked- him. Yeah, me too. I was just. He like, was in New Orleans, right? I think so. Yeah. I think he's, he's phenomenal. I've played with yeah. him before. Yeah. He's, he's phenomenal. Just such a nice guy. And like, mm-hmm. he knows that music so well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and New World had brought in like dancers and a singer from Spain. So on the first half of the program, we did Elmore Brujo, which, if anyone listening doesn't know this, like, this is one of my favorite pieces in the whole world. Like, highly recommend you go listen to it because especially the oboe writing is amazing. Mm. Um, and I was so stressed out that week because I did Elmore Brujo on the first half, which only has that one oboe part. And then I thought it would be a great idea to play English horn on the entire three-cornered hat ballet on the second half. <laughs> so I was like, the only thing that was giving me like comfort that week was about, at least during the cadenza, was like one of the dancers was doing a solo. And I was kind of like, if anything happens on my end, they're all going to be paying attention to him so like, right. it doesn't matter what happens to me <laughs> but you know it all was great but that was just like just such an, the energy at that concert was just unparalleled to like anything I've ever done and I love I just also like loved that music and even more having someone there who knew it that well and also wanted to share how much he loved it with us um yeah that's like one I'll definitely not forget anytime soon for sure I hope I get to do something like that again because it's I'll never forget that one it's so awesome yeah, I feel like you've already imbibed us with so many good things to think oh, about. It has been a, a master class. Um, but could we end with your advice for a young musician who aspires to have a career like yours? Sure. I think the biggest thing is to re- remember and like realize that there is more to this career than just being really good at your instrument. You know, you, you really have to be a good colleague. Um, in addition to being good at your instrument. I think being a good colleague is almost more important than being really good at your instrument. Aside from that, trying not to be so concerned with what other people are doing, because we all know musicians love to brag about their lives, and like it gets really easy for someone to get wrapped up in, like, oh, I'm not doing enough, like what I'm doing isn't good enough, things like that. But if you can remember to like trust that you are exactly where you need to be or where you're supposed to be um, and that things are going to work out the way they're supposed to. You know, if you're, if you're putting in that really hard work, something is going to work out for you. So just trying to keep that in mind, you know, when you might not be feeling great about things or, you know, if you're just, you know, generally feeling unsure about something, it's, it's, it's going to work out the way it's supposed to in the end. I know that can be hard to, you know, it feels kind of, for me, it feels, I feel so out of control when I think about it. But if you'd asked me like 10 years ago, like my freshman year at NEC, like where I saw my life in 10 years, like I would have never guessed it to go the way it has so far. So yeah, just 
be a good colleague and just like trust that things are going to work out the way they're supposed to. So I think that's the best advice I could give. This is, I mean, I'm so inspired by you. It's one of our best of all time. It's one of the best <laughs> of all time. I'll say it. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're that. so impressive. Really? I mean, this is just such a pleasure and we can't thank you enough. Oh, I mean, like I said, I was so excited when you guys, I got the email about this. So it's like, I can't wait. Do you like how I said it's one of our best? <laughs> <laughs> As if Gully or I did anything. <laughs> So we know you enjoyed that interview and we're going to follow up and get your thoughts about that. And in the meantime, if you would rate and review, follow us on social media, all that good stuff, uh, you will be sure not to miss out on one of our fabulous upcoming episodes. And Galit, who's going to be on the next episode? (laughs) We had an amazing time talking with bassoonist Francine Peterson. So be sure to tune in next time for that amazing interview. Jackie, it's time to end this nerd parade. Go enjoy your weekend. Maybe go lift some things. It's actually my weekend. When they're listening to this, it's the start of the week. So (laughs) (laughs) go make reads.